Hey guys, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon today. At TC, we exist to see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. Good morning, TC. Let's give it up for Jesus all across this place. Come on. Man, it is so good to see you guys this morning. And uh, I know some of y'all woke up, saw that rain, and was like, nah, bro, we're going to the 10 o'clock service. Some of them said 1130, and some of y'all sitting at home right now in your comfy clothes, and we're just not doing it today. All right, but we love you no matter where you're at. And so uh, we're going to keep going in this name tag series. Turn your neighbor and say name tags. And uh, I remember when me and Ashley first got married, uh, first of all, she doesn't cook. I do. Okay. So uh, she doesn't cook very many things. I am the cook in the house. And so we first got married and I was like, man, I'm going to show my wife something special. All right. So uh, I uh, planned this whole like Asian inspired dish where I marinated this steak in teriyaki uh, for a couple of days. And, and uh, so it was like, it was getting in. And so I, I went I, and so I put that on the grill, the sugar in the teriyaki sauce started coming out. You know, they, they, kind of got crystallized on the steak which you were cooking with like the sweetness it was y'all know I'm so come on yes Jesus name Jesus name yes all right so so I was I I made it and then I made uh some coconut infused rice um and then I made a ginger soy uh, a ginger garlic sweet soy sauce reduction to drizzle over the top of it with some green garnish and uh, I plated the rice and then you got to cut the steak against the grain. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? So I, I cut it against the grain and, and I just laid it across the rice and drizzled the sauce on it. And when she came home, I was like, you, you know, she said, you did this for me. I said, you, you know, all right. So, um, you married up, baby, you know, so, uh, and so she, and so at that time in our marriage, we didn't even have a dining room table. Come on, some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? That, all right, so uh, I, uh, we gra- I grabbed my plate. I went to the couch, and uh, she was still in the kitchen getting her plate, and she was going to come sit down on the couch next to me. And uh, all of a sudden, I heard, <laughs> and I said, I knew what it was, but, you know, you got to ask anyways, right? You can't just accuse early in marriage. You got to, right? So, uh, so what was that? And she said, ketchup. And that's what I said. I was like, what, what for? You know, and she said, well, I need ketchup for my steak. And I said, how long, when, when is the annulment, like how does, and so, uh, and so uh, she said, I need ketchup. I said, but I said, the dish has sauce already. You don't need, she said, yeah, but I want ketchup with it. I said, but it has a sauce. She said, but I need ketchup with it. And at this point, we're just looking at each other in the kitchen, waiting for one of us to concede, right? You know what I mean? I'm like, but it has a, but I need, right? And so uh, I said, well, you just got to, you got to try it first the way I made it before you just start throwing stuff on it. That's disrespectful. All right. Uh, and so uh, we, we, so I said, you know, it started this phrase in our house. Many of you probably use it. Don't knock it till you try it. Okay. So you guys are with me on that. So uh, we, we started this phrase, don't knock it until you try it. And the problem is when my wife tries something for the first time, she tries it like a microbiologist. <laughs> All right. So she's like, she's, I'm like, you're not going to know nothing about that by smelling. Stop smelling it. And then she tastes it in a way you can't taste anything. You can't even taste air the way she tastes food. Like she, she, and I'm like, you did not taste that, right? Uh, and so we kind of, we, we locked in this, right? Don't knock it till you 
try it, all right? And so, uh, so the problem is she started using that phrase against me, all right? And she likes weird things. So she puts like, for example, she puts ketchup on her mac and cheese. I think, I, yeah, whatever, you know, no. She said, don't knock until you try it. I said, no, ma'am, I'm, not, I'm knocking that all day long. I'm not trying that. <laughs> and so we kind of, now I will be honest with you, there has been multiple things that I have started eating because she made me do it. All right. And so because of, like for growing up in my house, my dad didn't eat sour cream on his baked potatoes. All right. So his baked potatoes, just butter, cheese, bacon, which, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden she was like, you need to try it with sour cream. I was like, ah, you know, my dad didn't. So I don't, you know, and she was like, don't knock it till you try it. Okay. So I was like, all right, let me, you know, let me try it. I tried it. I said, what have I been missing out on for 30 something? This is amazing. And so uh, and she buys sour cream by the vat. So, uh, so we use all that. And um, so I started eating. There was multiple things that I started just doing over time because I was like, let me try some. Maybe I'll like it better than medium steaks. I started eating my steaks medium instead of well done. Who knew that regular steak was better than beef jerky? Had no idea. So, uh, so I started doing that. Uh, onions on my burger. All right. So like that was a new development for me, particularly a McDonald's burger. You know, McDonald's ain't healthy. I didn't go there for health. I went there for, all right. So, uh, so but then McDonald's, I don't know what they're doing to them, but there's something right back there. So Started eating that, chick, uh, pickles on my Chick-fil-A sandwich. That's a new development for me the last year. If, if that's the way God's people are making it, that's just how I'm going to eat it. That's just how I'm living from now on. So we're doing that. Uh, you know, so we, we've got all these. And, and I'm, I'm here to stand before you. Have to, I, I, I tried something recently, and I, got, I just got to share with you guys because you have been the audience I've been talking to for a while about this. Uh, someone recently ordered a pizza with pineapple on it. Don't knock it till you, all right, so I said, you know what, all right, fine, and I'm here to report to all of you, I'm here to report to all of you that I tried it, and that is an abomination before God. Every one of you, every one of you should be ashamed of yourselves, you need Jesus in your life. Man, I haven't got that much ruckus since I made a Alabama-Auburn comment a while back. Anyway, it's all right. So, but in Jesus' name, the Lord will deliver some of you. But all that to say is, man, I, I, how many of you know the past of your life really does shape your future? Because my parents didn't do certain things, I didn't do certain things. I never questioned it. It was just like, man, they don't do it, I don't do it. That kind of what happened. Uh, things that I've been through in my life, I tried something as a kid, and I didn't like it, and I just never liked it since. I never gave it a real shot. It's just it, That was the way it went then, that's the way it goes now. And how many of us, if we're honest, will say that because of the way things have gone in our past, we've allowed it to dictate our future? And that's how many of us fall into what, what's happening in our lives. As a matter of fact, I use this question. I want you guys to think about it. How has my past built an identity that I've lived by? How has what you've gone through, what's been done to you, where you've been, how has your past built an identity that even today some of us are living by? Now, in the seat backs in front of you, uh, there's connect cards, but also in some of the seats, there's name tags. And just throughout, at some point in the message, just reach up and grab one of those out of the empty chair. There should be in the little slot some name tags. And at some point, just grab one. We're not going to do anything with it right now as much as I want. We're going to use it at the end. All right. But uh, how has my past created? And essentially what they are are lies. Turn your neighbor and say, it's all a lie. 
Because our past lies to us about what our future has to be, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. And so here are some of the lies that people have turned into me. I asked on Instagram, uh, I said, what are, what are some of the lies you've believed? And this is just what some of you gave me, right? And some of you said, I believe the lie that says I'll never become what God wants me to be. I'll never become what God wants me to be. Some people said, I've believed the lie that everything in my life depends on me. If, if it's going to happen, it's going to be because I made it happen. Everything in my life depends on me. Some people said, I believe the lie that says I'm weak and inadequate. I'm weak and I'm not enough. Matter of fact, uh, some of the people that turn that in would probably shock you because if you were to look at them, they present themselves as very strong, which I think is what we do when we feel weak, right? As we try to portray ourselves as something, something else entirely. Uh, some people said, I believe the lie um, that that whatever that is for you, still defines who I am. What I went through, what happened to me, what I believe that that, it still defines who I am. Some people have said, I believe the lie that says that I can't trust anyone. Because someone betrayed me, I don't feel like I can trust anyone. Anybody ever had someone stab you in the back before? Isn't it interesting that no one can stab you in the back that's not close enough to hug your neck? Right. And so we, we, we process, I can't trust anyone. Uh, some people said, I have believed the lie that says I'm too broken to be useful. I'm too broken. God can't use me. I'm too jacked up. I'm too broken to be useful. Some people came to us and said, I believe the lie that says it or that is going to happen again. What I went through five years ago, 10 years ago, when I was seven, I, it's going to happen again, and I need to be prepared for it. And that's what some people have believed. And here's the reality that I think is important that we all grab a hold of, right? Uh, because the, the reality is this. What has happened to you has a direct impact on your identity, your ambition, and your future. What has happened to you has a direct impact on your identity, who you think you are, your ambition, what you can possess, what you can gain, what you can do in life, and your future, who you'll ultimately become. So what has happened to you, your past, has a direct impact on what you think you can be, what you think you can possess, and who God can ultimately make you. And we correlate these things either consciously or subconsciously in our mind. We connect these dots. And so for many of us, we've had to say, my wife, for example, she has gained the nickname, the sauce queen, because in our house, she puts a sauce on everything, ketchup, Chick-fil-A sauce, barbecue sauce, Chick-fil-A sauce, ranch, Chick-fil-A sauce. You guys noticing a pattern here. Uh, so like, she's, she's developed this nickname because she has this thing. She's developed this, this nickname, this identity. She identifies as the thing that she does. It's not who she is. But because of what she does, it's part of who she is. And for many of us, I wonder how many of us have associated our identity with our damage. We've connected who we are to our trauma. We've allowed what happened to us to define us. And I'm here to tell you today that God's desire today is to move you into a place where you start taking that label off and seeing who God wants you to be. And so for many of us, I want you to think about this. Hello, I'm blank. My name is blank, whatever it is. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm Brad. And, but what is your nickname? What, what is the label you've worn? Hello, I'm whoever. 
damaged, hurt, bitter, broken, weak. And because of that, I always struggle with who I am, what I have, and what I could be. And there's a character in the Bible that struggled with those three things over and over again as he went through different seasons of life, but it was all rooted in the beginning and how what happened in the beginning dictated what was going to happen through the middle and the end. And his name is Joseph. And we're going to go to the Bible today and go to Genesis chapter 37 and look at this story. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to move quickly through the story for the sake of time because this is something we could preach on for a whole series and we're going to do it in one, in one day. But I want to highlight something that happens. So in case you don't know, in Genesis 37, Joseph is born to a man named Jacob. He's one of many sons. All right. And that's where we're going to pick up. Genesis 37, verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. So his brothers hate him. And so Joseph has a dream. All right, now I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version. If you want to go read Genesis 37 through 42, you go for it. All right, but, but I'm giving you the Cliff Notes today. He has this dream. His brothers are going to bow down to him. And he makes the mistake of telling his brothers. How many of y'all got siblings? Right? He's like, y'all going to bow down to me one day. It's like, brother, if you make it to tomorrow. You know, so, and literally, they take him and they, they kidnap him. They're going to kill him. Oldest brother says, hey, hey, fellas, calm down, right? And instead of killing him, they throw him in a pit, and they end up selling him into slavery. And this sets in motion this thing throughout his life where he moves through different seasons. And if each one of us were honest, we can identify different seasons of our life where we see God doing different things. Different things that he's happening, different things that he's walking us through, different things he's growing us through. And that's what happens to Joseph. And I want to show you just four of those seasons. And I want to show you how he was able to get from each one to each one. All right. And the first one is the dream season. The dream season. And the dream season is when he literally has the dream. So in the dream season, he, he has this dream. My brothers are going to bow down to me, right? And in the dream season, in each one of these moments, there is what we talked about earlier. There's your title, who you are your possessions, what you have, and your future, what you could be. And so in each one of these seasons, we're going to kind of break down his title. In this particular case, he was the favorite, right? He's the, he's the one that his dad loved more than anyone else. He possessed favor because he's having these dreams. He's got the coat. He's loving life. Things are good, right? And his future is one of inheritance. He can't wait because he's one of the promised generations. He, 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 man, life is looking good for him. So he's the favorite. He's got favor. Say favor, right? And he's looking forward to his inheritance. He's locked in. It's good, baby. All good. That's where he's living his life right now. And he tells his brothers, and he gets sold into slavery. And he goes from the dream season to the doubt season. And how many of you have ever found yourself going from the dream season to the doubt season? How many of you have ever felt like God was doing something in your life? He was promising you something. You felt like things were good. God's giving me clarity. Me and God are great. Family's great. Kids had not lost their mind. Me and the spouse aren't arguing over ketchup on steak. Things are just good. Like we're in this great place, right? We're in this dream season where we feel like God has given us clarity for the next, for like just where we're going to go as a family, what my job is going to look like. And then all of a sudden you're ready for God to take you right. And baby, he takes you left. And you're like, what? why are we over here? And, and what's the first thing that happens whenever God takes you left instead of right? right? The first thing you say is, God, I don't know if you doubt season. 
I mean, you start praying that prayer again. Like, God, I don't know if you heard me. So, right, you, right, we're in doubt season. In, in, in Joseph's life, he goes and he gets sold into slavery and he ends up being in, and he ends up in Potiphar's house. And in Potiphar's house, he becomes a servant, right? And so he has to serve Potiphar. He, but then guess what happens? Even though his title becomes servant, guess what he still possesses? Favor. And Potiphar says, I'm going to put you in charge of my house. So even though he was a servant, he still had favor. And so even though he's not where he wanted to be, he's in this season. And so he's embracing the idea that his future is one of authority. So he's got authority. So I'm a servant. I got favor. I've got authority. I don't know, God, what you're doing. But you know what? I'm going to hang on for the ride. Anybody ever, anyway, has that ever been a phrase that you thought of before? Out of God, I don't know what you're doing. If it were up to me, we'd have done it differently. Come on, help me out. Anybody? Like, I got some suggestions if you want them. But right now, I understand you're God. I'm just, okay, whatever. We're in doubt season. And so while he's in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife looks at him and she starts to like him. And so she goes to him to try to get him to sleep with her. And he says, no, heifer. (laughs) That part's not in the Bible. But... No, he says, no, I can't, I, I can't do that. You know, as an honorable man, he said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to sleep with you. You're someone else's wife. And so uh, he goes to run away. She grabs his coat. And so she grabs his coat. He runs away. So when her husband comes home, when Potiphar comes home, she says, your servant tried to rape me. Right? And so naturally, Potiphar comes in angry, and he throws Joseph in prison. And this is the part that I feel like many of us, we just struggle with, man. Because you're in doubt season already. And how many of you know when you go to doubt season, what, do you, what are you looking to get back to? Dream season. Right? Like things were good. Things got a little bad. But you know what? I'm looking for God to, come on, we're going to level up. You know what I mean? Like, 2023 is my year, baby. Right? Which I hadn't heard anybody say that since they said it in 2020. <laughs> I got 2020 vision for my life. Brother, you ain't got 2020 vision for March. You know what I'm talking about? So, but anyway, so like I got, you know, we're, we're living our best life. And so, and, he, and I can see it right now. I've been in that season where I was in a doubt season, but I was looking, God, bring me back to the dream season. And so I'm looking to elevate, but then I DS. Like I, I'm, I'm looking to go up, but he takes me down. And Joseph gets thrown in prison and goes from doubt season. He don't go back to dream season. He goes to development season. Because the thing is, in in your life, what you find out in your doubt season is you don't quite have as much faith as you thought you did. What happens in doubt season is you don't, God's not quite as clear as you thought he was. You're not quite as firm in your faith as you thought you were, and you and God aren't on the same page the way you thought you were. And so in doubt season, God says, I can't take you back to dream season right now because if I took you back to dream season, you would bring some things with you you can't have there. So I've got to take you from doubt season to development season to get some things out of your life before I can take you to the ultimate place you're going to be. And he goes to development season. That's where he ends up in prison. And even while he's in prison, he understands, man, he goes into title phase. I'm a prisoner. But guess what he still has in prison? Favor. And this is where I think many of us have found ourselves before, and it's so frustrating. Because you want to know what the future looks like there? Uncertain. 
Anybody ever got to that place with God where you're like, I don't even know what you're doing, man. Come on, don't look, don't look at me with them holy eyes. Y'all know exactly what I'm saying. I don't even know what you're doing. I don't, I don't know what you're doing. All right. I, I, there was doubt initially, like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe. Now you're just like, I don't even know if you hear my prayers. I don't even know if they're working. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to put an extra five in on Sunday. You know what I mean? I got five on. Like, I don't, like, I, I, need, I need some help, you know? And so we, we find ourselves in that place where we're, we're trying to get through it. But God says, again, he says, if, if I don't take, you're in doubt season. But in doubt season, all it does is show you the things you're struggling with. Development seasons when we actually get them out of you. And he goes to the prison, uncertain future. And he, he has two guys come in, a butler and a baker. And again, I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version of this, so bear with me. But he, 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 butler and a baker, they both have dreams. And Joseph says, I can interpret those dreams. And, and he tells him, he says, one of you is going to get restored back to your place. Because they were, they were servants to Pharaoh. He said, one of you is going to get restored back to serving Pharaoh. And he's like, yeah, baby, let's go. What about him? He says, you're going to die. It's in the, you can read it, all right? I'm just saying. So he's like, all right, can, I, can we trade? No. Like so, and so literally it happens. One gets restored and, and one gets killed. And that's where we pick up in Genesis 40, verses 14 through 15. And I want to show you what Joseph asks for in this season. He says, but when all goes well with you, remember me. When you get back to Pharaoh, when you're back in, like, when, you, when it all goes well with you, remember me. And show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. What is he asking for you? He, he's, he said, I need my future back. It's uncertain. I, need, I, need what, I'm in, I, need, I still need to be in control. I need my future back. God, God didn't do it the way I needed him to do it. So now I'm asking you. Get me out of this prison. He says, I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. In other words, I lost my possessions. And even here... I've done nothing to deserve to be put in this prison. And what is he saying? My reputation, my title has been damaged. What Joseph says in that moment, he says, my title is gone. My possessions are gone. My future is gone. I just need out of here. And the whole time he's doing that, where is Joseph looking? Back. You see, in development season, that's where God shows us how we're more married to where we used to be than we are where he wants to take us. And he says, I need you to get this. I need you to change. I don't don't need to be here. And it's in that moment where we realize that much of what God needs to get out of our lives is what we're still married to in our past. The struggle that we're in, the pain we're experiencing, the bitterness we're holding on to, the label that we're wearing, it usually has a lot more to do with how we identify to what's behind us far more than it has to do with what God's trying to make in front of us. That's why I love the quote from the ancient philosopher Tom Hanks. I think he stole it from someone else, but this too shall pass. Man, you think things are rough? It doesn't seem like you're going to get out of this. This too shall pass. Things are difficult right now. Things are hard. You're not sure what God's This too shall pass. Everything's great. Life is exactly what you wanted it. This too shall pass. <laughs> because you're always going to go through seasons from dream to doubt to development. But hear me. You have to go through those seasons because even in dream season, you pick up some things. 
Even in the dream season, you pick up hurts. In the doubt season, you pick up pain. In the development season, you pick up bitterness. And if in that development season, God doesn't teach you how to let go of what you're holding on to, you never get to the next part, which is the decree season. Where God finally decree, he makes a decree over your life. You're no longer this, now you're this. And Pharaoh, for those of you who know the, know the story, Pharaoh has a dream, and the dream, the, one of the guys from the prison says, hey, I, knew, I remember someone that can interpret dreams. And they go and get Joseph. He brings him to Pharaoh. He tells Pharaoh, you're going to have seven years of famine, or blessing, you're going to have seven years of famine. This is what the dreams mean. You need to get some things ready. And Pharaoh then declares over him, I'm changing everything for you. God sets in motion a decree It took two years in the prison of development for Joseph to be ready to let go. But as soon as he was ready, God decreed, and he put him in front of Pharaoh. And this is what Pharaoh does in chapter 41, verses 41 through 43. This is what Pharaoh says. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, and he put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in a robe of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And this crazy thing happens for Joseph in this moment, where because God was able to get out of him the development stuff, he was able to get away from him his past, he was able to create an opportunity for his future. And how many of us, Is God waiting on us to put down what we've been holding on to so that we can grab a hold of what he wants for us in the future? You see, many of us, we're trying to build titles. We're trying to build a certain future for ourselves. Matter of fact, this is the way I put it. You think I need a certain title and I need a certain future. And here's what you do. If you're anything like me, you do everything in your power to make that happen. I'm going to get that job. I'm going to do that thing. I'm going I'm to do, like, you know what God says? God says, as long as you possess favor, I'm working it all out for your good and my glory. You, you think what you need is to be in charge. What you actually need to do is surrender control. You, you think you need all the things your way. What you actually need is favor for God's way. And when we look at the story, Joseph received a greater title, greater favor, And greater influence, all to be used for God's glory. But listen to me, it never would have been possible if he only stayed with who hurt me rather than what God wants to make me. And that's why getting rid of our past is so important. And at TC, we actually have a process that we go through to help walk people through their past. We use small groups for that. Uh, The second point of what we do as a church, the second part of the journey is to find freedom. Say freedom. Freedom find freedom. And that's what we want to walk you in today. And so uh, I, we actually have a video of one of the guys that launched a group uh, last season. And maybe it'll encourage some of you to say, man, maybe God wants to use me to do the same. Let's watch Thomas's video real quick. My name is Thomas. My small group, uh, it's a freedom group. The reason I wanted to lead it is because there's nothing better in life than seeing other people grow. And I think, I think leading a small group, I think leading freedom 
it's it's about planting seeds, it's about all these things, but man, like, it's amazing to watch the growth, you know, and that's in myself too. And I think that's just, that's such a rewarding thing. The fact that I get to do it, like, that's crazy, <laughs> you know? Freedom Group is for, it, it, I say it's for anybody, but it's for anybody that just, that wants better, you know? It, it's for anybody that wants different than where they're at right now, in their walk, in, in life, and it's a space for somebody that wants to come and be a part of other people's journeys too. When we come together like that, we're stronger. That's, that's the Christian life. We're meant to be in community. And what that looks like, everybody's gonna come in a different place. Everybody's gonna be dealing with their different, different things or sins or struggles or challenges. You know, it might not even be sin, it might be a challenge, right? And, and that's the amazing thing, to see people in different parts of life be able to come together, you know, with Christ as a common goal. You know, I, I didn't worry too much going into like leading it, mainly because I'm submitting to Christ and I'm joining that journey along with anybody else in the group too. And just because I'm a leader, all it means is I'm stewarding what God already has in place. I'm stewarding His Word. I'm stewarding my time that He's given me. I'm stewarding the gifts or whatever it is that He's given me into other people. You know, in order to make the group what it is, I'm gonna be there to, to foster trust. I'm gonna be there to foster vulnerability. I'm gonna be there to, to bring out these things, but it's about giving it over to God. You know, we serve a living God that is actively changing people's lives. I've, I've formed some, some really great friendships. Um, you know, I've met a few new brothers in Christ and people that I can both be there for and then be there for me. You know, it's been a great group to get exactly what I need to for people to rely on and the whole nine yards in my walk. So I've, I've gotten out of it just as much as I've given. It's been truly a blessing to see people be hungry. You know, be hungry for God, be hungry for change, be hungry for, for better relationships in their life, whether it's, you know, their wife or, or kids or, or just different things. You know, somebody might have been keeping something a little more in a wraps or, or different things, you know, and then as time goes on and, um, you know, you realize, hey, this is a vulnerable space. This is a safe space. This is, you know, a space that I can truly let things out in order to put the right things in. And, and so I, I think back to those moments too where I'm like, man, like I want that, <laughs> you know? I want that too. And that's, that's, a, and that's an awesome thing. You know, when it comes to leading a group and, and something I'd, I'd say to somebody who's hesitant or, or nervous, you know, I can speak for my walk when I go, hey, you know, the closer I get to Christ, the more I realize how much there is a responsibility in leading, but there's also a simplicity in it, you know? And I think that's the great, an amazing thing about walking with Christ. We're there to steward and, and to be servants of everybody that's in the group. And I think that's, that's a huge part to play in kind of combating the, the anxiety about leading too. Even when everything feels like it's going wrong, sometimes the most right thing we can do is be in a right relationship with others. Man, we're super, super grateful for Thomas' story. And, you know, one of the things that we try to communicate to you today is, is helping you understand that, you know, there's a past that we gotta get, we gotta, we gotta move away from looking at that to really see who God wants us to be. In the first Kings, there's a story about uh, the, the prophet Elijah and Elisha. And just so you know, with Joseph, he, he ends up standing before his brothers and he actually ends up not only saving all of Egypt, but guess who is part of the land? His brothers. 
And he never could have been able to save his brothers in Egypt if all he do was hold on to what happened. And it reminds me of this story in 1 Kings chapter 19, where Elijah is looking for Elisha, who's going to be like his protege. He's going to be the next one to come after Elijah to be God's man, his prophet for the land. And in 1 Kings 19, 21, we see Elisha, Elijah comes to Elisha. He says, hey, I want you to follow me. I want you to become, you know, this great prophet. I'm gonna, I want you to walk with me. And, and Elisha says, man, let me go back, say goodbye to my parents, and I'll follow you. And in verses 21, we see, so it says, so Elisha let, left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them, right? And then it says, he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and then he gave it to the people, and they ate it. Right, and, and then it says, then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. And as he's doing this, I want you to think about this for a second because his identity, his future, and everything he possessed was wrapped up in the land, the oxen, and the plow. He was a farmer, that's what he was. He possessed ox and plows and the property to farm. And the future was certain because that's what he had. And when he said, I'm gonna follow you, Elijah, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm letting it all go. And he killed the oxen, broke up the plow and burned it. And I think that's an important part of the story because when you go to 2 Kings 2, we see Elijah telling Elisha in these moments where things were about to get really bad. He says, hey man, just, just stay here. Just like, I'm about to have to go over here. It's going to get ugly. Just stay here. And we see Elisha say in verses 2, verse 4, and verse 6, he says the same thing. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. And even at some point, we see this tension where Elijah is about to go through some things. And, and surely Elijah looks at Elisha and is like, hey, man, just go back home. Like, just, you don't need to get wrapped. I'm probably going to die anyways. Why don't you just go home? And Elisha has the ability, he, he can look at Elijah, and, and we don't see this necessarily in the text, but I imagine this happening where he's going, go back home to what? I told my parents I was never coming back. I killed my oxen, I burned my plow, I've got nothing back there to go home to. I've gotten rid of every, my identity to my past is gone. The only thing I have is what's in front of me. So I'm gonna follow you wherever we go. And I think for some of you, I'm inviting you today into a moment where you kill the oxen and burn the plows of your life. You've got some things in your past that you're still letting dictate what happens in your future. And I believe that God wants to remove that from you. I believe this is so important. You ready? You have to confront and destroy the labels of your past that you have allowed to become your identity in the present. And so hopefully you've grabbed one of those name tags out from the seat. And I've got one, I've actually got one up here as well. And I wanna just tell you a little story about it because for me, I know in my life and in my family, 
1997, my family went through some of the worst stuff we've ever gone through in our lives. It was a difficult situation. And for me, my, man, my dad was a, my superhero. Like he was Superman for me. And I watched some people try to destroy his life. And I made a promise in that moment. At, at 10 years old, I said, I'll never let somebody do that to me. I'll never let it happen. For 26 years, I lived up to that. I'll be strong. No one will ever see me weak. For 26 years, I shouldered that. And over the last two years, that, that commitment I made to myself started suffocating me. Because in moments where I needed to be weak, in moments where I needed to let my guard down, in moments where I needed to surrender, I couldn't because I was trying to hold all the power for myself. And I started, I, I talked to a counselor on a regular basis and I was talking with him and I said, telling him what was going on in my life. And I said, I'm just, you know, and, and, and he said, I want you to use one word. I want you to describe your life. You know, and, and naturally you give the answer you think it should be. You know, I'm like, it's great. It's fantastic. You know, church is great. Marriage is great, whatever. And he was like, listen, you're paying me for another 45 minutes. We can do this all you want. He said, what's, what's the word you would use to describe your life? I said, fragile. He said, explain that. I said, I feel like at any point in time, everything is on the verge of falling apart because I watched it fall apart for the strongest, most faithful, best man I've ever known in my life. I watched it fall apart for him and I believe it could fall apart for me. And he said, just because it fell apart for him doesn't mean you have to live believing it's going to fall apart for you. He said, we have to make an agreement today that your life is not fragile because God is bigger than the moment where your life looked like it was going to fall apart. And we're going to believe that your past no longer dictates your future. And I think that is the type of moment we're in for you right now. You see, for me, what belongs on my name tag today? Hello, my name is Fragile. I'm fragile, which is why I've put up this strong man image. I'm a big dude. I know that. I'm intimidating. I, I met a guy at a restaurant uh, just, just this past week. And he's like, you're a pastor? And I was like, yeah. He was like, never would have thought that. I said, yeah, I get, I get that sometimes. <laughs> I was like, it's the beard. He's like, no, it's, I would never want to talk to you. You look terrifying. And I was like, you know. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but I, I know that's an image that I wear trying to tell the rest of the world, don't mess with me. And there's an element of truth to, don't mess with me. Because I'm from the south side of the kingdom, just so y'all know, y'all better get it right. Okay, so, but part of it is because I'm trying to tell the world something. And over the last couple of weeks, God has used 
this same message that I'm giving you to show me that my past doesn't dictate my future and I've taken off the label. My question for you is what belongs on your label that today you're gonna make a decision that is no longer the person I'm gonna be. The past is no longer gonna dictate my future because the reality is this, your future has never been behind you despite how much you keep looking back there to find it. Your future's not back there, your future's out there. So let's start looking where God wants it to be. But I believe the first step in doing that is getting rid of what's on this. I want you to imagine for a second the freedom we could all have. Imagine the freedom we could all have if the only time we look back was to catch a glimpse of the person Jesus died for and freed us from being. It's not who I am. That's just who Jesus got rid of. Now, I have a future. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, we thank you. God, we know this is a, a different message, but I pray, Lord, that you speak to the hearts of all of us to show us our past doesn't dictate our future. Let us see, God, with clarity who you're making us to be. We thank you today. And we love you. Penetrate our hearts. Bring freedom in this place, Holy Spirit. Bind up our brokenness. Set free where we've been enslaved to our bitterness and our pain. Give us hope. In Jesus' name. If very quickly, we don't miss this ever on a Sunday with your eyes closed. If you're here today and sin has separated you from God, but you need Jesus, you want to put your faith in him to be saved and give him your life. Today, if that's you, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer very quickly. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me my sins. I believe in you. I believe you died for me, so I give you my life. Make me brand new. Give me a fresh start, and I'll follow you forever. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. TC, let's stand to our feet all across this place. Come on. Yeah, let's put our hands together for all those that prayed that. It's a good... Thank you so much for listening today. To make sure you never miss a message, be sure to subscribe to our channel. It would also mean so much to us if you would leave us a review. If you want to connect with us on Instagram or Facebook, just search at Transformation Pensacola. More information about our church or to contact us, feel free to go to mytc.life. MyTC.life is also where you can partner with us financially, and we would love it if you would consider doing just that, as your financial support is a key factor in helping our content channels grow. So I want to invite you to join us next time for another message from one of our pastors as we see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be. I pray you have a blessed day.